poppin' the Christian bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by independent financial planner Adam Peak. Join us as we provide commentary at the intersection of culture, tech, and faith. Scotty from Star Trek is aboard the International Space Station. A woman discovers she got more than she bargained for when she bought a paperweight. The most consequential cyber attack in history hit our country recently. A new year, 2021, is a great time to refresh that phone and your social media. We finally get our hands on a PS5 and give you our initial thoughts. Facebook declares war on Apple. And finally, praying for God to wake you up after taking a sleeping pill. All this and more on today's episode of the Cultured Christian Podcast. Hello there. It is 2021 and we are doing episode 26. Man, I wish in retrospect I had planned that out better and we were doing episode 21 here for 2021. But hey, we're in the 20s, uh, both in the years and also in the episode count. And yeah, this is exciting. Our first episode of a brand spanking new year. And I am super excited for just thinking about the year ahead and all the possibility. You know, every year at this time, I look at my past journal and read through the journal entries over the last year and I think about what I learned through the year, how I grew, the people I met, and as I'm starting this new year out, man, it couldn't be a more, uh, how do I not overstate it, but also not understate it, like this is a huge January for me because I recently relocated, I moved thousands of miles away from where I was living for the last nine years, so I am living in a new place, I have a new job, I'm in a new community meeting new people, and it is beginning the second year, in just a few months here, we'll be getting our second year of this podcast, so there's so many new things, so many awesome things happening here at the start of the year, and I'm just thinking back over the last 25 episodes, all the people we've interviewed, all the topics we've covered, so much fun. It's just been a lot of fun watching uh, the different people literally from across the country connecting with us and finding us on uh, their podcast apps. And so thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this thing. And I am just super excited about all the people that you'll meet this year through the podcast, all the topics that are going to ultimately come up because culture, technology, and faith, these are all very relevant things that are always changing. There's always new things to talk about. We never, ever run out of things to talk about in those three kind of areas that we're honing into the podcast. So let's dive right in with our first topic here. Our first section is culture, and we're just going to get right into today's podcast. Where are all my Star Trek fans at? And I'm not just talking about those of you like lighthearted fans, you know, kind of halfway in fans, maybe like I'd consider myself. I shared with you uh, many episodes ago how I got into uh, Star Trek, the next generation, the TV series uh, through my grandfather introducing uh, it to me and we used to watch it together. But he was also really into the original series. And I know this is dating uh, many of the listeners on the podcast here, but this goes back many, many years to the original Star Trek series, the TV show, 
where the chief engineer Montgomery Scott, you know, you've probably heard the line, beam me up, Scotty. You know, that was a line that was said by Captain Kirk all the time to uh, this chief engineer. And so the original guy, his name is James Duhon. There was this cool story I wanted to share with you on uh, The Verge a few weeks back. And basically his family, he passed away at the age of 85 in the year 2005. And Duhan's family, James Duhan's family, had been trying, they had been requesting to have his wish. See, he had a wish as a space guy who played this guy in the movies and on TV. He wanted to actually go to space and he never got the chance. And so his wishes were for his actual ashes to go to space and specifically to be on the International Space Station. And so reading from the Verge article here, it says, Official requests to bring Duhan's ashes on the ISS were denied. But Richard Gerhardt, one of the first private citizens to travel on the space station, managed to smuggle some of Duhan's ashes into the space station Columbia module. Garriott says he took a laminated picture of Duhan and some of his ashes to put under the floor of the Columbus. He didn't tell anyone about the scheme. Only he and Duhan's family knew until now. So this sounds like a, an X-Files episode or like, you know, Unsolved Mysteries, but this guy snuck the guy's ashes onto the International Space Station. It didn't say anything until he came back. Like, I thought that was uh, pretty, pretty dang cool that he was able to fulfill that family's wish and ultimately James Duhon's wish to uh, be on the International Space Station. And so I don't know if you guys had heard that story, but I thought it was cool and, and definitely worth sharing with you. Speaking of ashes, we're just going to continue today's theme of talking about people's remains for some reason. But kidding aside, this was yet another interesting story. The story goes this New Zealand woman, uh, Jessica Roberts, was with her young son in New Zealand years ago, five years ago, and she was at a garage sale, a yard sale, and her son came up to her with this ornate-looking heart-shaped paperweight, and he asked her, please buy this for me so I can give it to you for Christmas. And she thought, oh, it's only a dollar. And it actually was pretty cool looking, very ornate. Again, it has, you know, inscription in it of birds and just a bunch of different things inscribed in it. It looked really, really cool, especially for a dollar. So she picked it up. And then, you know, later on, she was at home and she was clicking around somewhere on, I think, Amazon. And she saw that there were she wanted to see you know these heart-shaped things and what they were worth and she stumbled upon the fact that a lot of these that looked very similar uh was urns that held people's remains she had never seen these things before and so she now thought oh my gosh i might have something that contains someone's remains in it so like a lot of us you know she went to facebook to find out what to do and she asked her her friends what uh, what she should do with this and so she got a lot of different uh, examples which they include in the article some people were saying you know positive things like you should find out who they belong to uh, someone said rest bury bury it in the backyard because it might be haunted you don't want that thing in your house 
other people made funny funny jokes that sort of thing but she uh, decided to open this thing up I guess it was somewhat hard just looking at it how to open it up so she cracked the thing open and did in fact see that there were ashes I hope she did this carefully because I can't imagine <laughs> opening something up like that that may potentially have someone's uh, remains in it and so she did confirm that it did in fact have someone's remains in it it was one of these urn holders and so she then went to the internet and tried to with pictures of the urn find out who whose owner this whose could this belong to or what family would this person belong to so the local newspaper found out a story. They ran a story and published it about this lost uh, urn. And just like you probably can imagine, someone contacted her, the husband of the woman who had lost the urn. This guy saw the article, saw the urn, and knew she was looking for, she misplaced her father's uh, urn. And so this is all right before Christmas, and the woman had a few conversations to make sure that this really was who uh, they said it was. And the couple recently had a child, now reading from the article, the couple recently had a child, and the woman recently expressed the regret of losing her father's remains because it felt like he could not be there in spirit. After speaking with the husband for some time to confirm it was in fact the father-in-law's remains, I was able to meet with him and return the urn. He plans to surprise her with the urn Christmas morning and her father's remains can finally rest where they belong with her. And I just, what a cool story. You know, that's one of those things that like, it's like a lifetime movie. You're like, there's no way that this stuff would line up all these people and all these circumstances. But what a really cool story. And what a Christmas made in the year 2020. What a terrible, crazy year it was. And this woman was able to get her father's uh, remains back. That's such a cool story. Finally, in our culture section, I want to share something that I think is culture, a little bit culture, a little bit tech, like a lot of times these um, stories sometimes overlap. And so I wanted to highlight this cyber attack that happened over Christmas break. Did you guys hear about this? I know back when it was Christmas week and New Year's week, I just kind of read the, the headline that it happened, but it sounds like it was the most massive, consequential, whatever adjective you want to put there, like this was significant when it comes to uh, cyber attacks. And the reason why is the agencies that it hit, I mean, they got into the federal treasury, the commerce and homeland security departments, just to name a few, like those are huge, very important agencies that affect our country in a massive way. It's looking like it was Russians, they're saying. And they were um, getting in via this Solar Winds company. Apparently, they were pushing out software updates over the Christmas break. And with that update, it also updated a virus and um, cyber attack to these agencies. The silver lining, according to this LA Times article, is it looks like they were just spying. So there was nothing disruptive. There was nothing that happened in the cyber attack that, you know, blew things up or messed up infrastructure, turned out lights, that sort of thing. But at this time, it looks like they just gathered data, like they spied on us. So they have information from those three major agencies in our federal government. So 
Kind of scary stuff, you know. Anytime I read these articles, I am just scared as to how how can this happen, number one. But secondly, like, what are they going to do with this information in such a time where there's so much political upheaval and so much unrest? The last thing we want is our enemies, our foreign enemies, looking in and getting this information because I can't imagine that they're looking to help us with this information. They're looking to ultimately destroy or disrupt us. So not good news over Christmas as it relates to cyber attacks. In our tech section this week, I wanted to talk about kind of some habits and things that I do at the beginning of a new year. As I mentioned in the intro, one of the things I do is I read through my journal, kind of think through, you know, things I want to change, goals I want to make, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's healthy, I think, to kind of pause. But another thing that relates to tech is with our cell phones, I think it's really healthy to kind of do an audit and just go through your pages of apps and what are things that you haven't used in the last year. You know, you didn't even touch this app in 2020. You know, that would be a good thing to think about to maybe delete that app. Uh, another thing I like to do is if it's apps that I'm using for motivation, whether it's physical, you know, healthy stuff or habits I want to break or habits I want to keep or make, it's really a good thing to kind of find new apps because every year there's new apps in these different areas. And so I'm always looking for the latest and greatest. You know, it motivates me to have a new app to track things and do things with. And so I thought it would be fun to kind of share some of those that I'm using because I just recently got a new habits tracking app. I had been using previously, I'm on iOS, I don't think they have this on Android because there's some specific things to iOS, but that one was called Streaks. It's an orange um, looking app and it was pretty good. I think what is great about it is there's some automatic things you can set up with Apple Health. So, you know, one of the things I had was, you know, 30 minutes of exercise five days a week. Well, it would know based on my Apple Watch, if I close the activity ring for 30 minutes, it would send that data over to the Streaks app and it would automatically update that goal for the day. So if you haven't used Streaks, and the other thing I like about the apps that I'm going to present today is there no, there's no subscription. These are like one and done. You pay for the app, you get to use it for the entire year. I'm a big fan of that. Um, so you might want to check out Streaks, especially if you're an Apple uh, device user. Streaks would be a good kind of habit tracker, building building habits, getting rid of negative habits, that sort of thing. I recently switched to a new app called, let's see here, Henry, Habits and Well-Being. So if you search the App Store, it should show up there. It, again, is pretty simple, which is great. I think, you know, it's got to be simple. The thing that I liked about it, though, is it has a gamification element to it. So every time you complete a, a habit you get keys um, and then once you get keys you can kind of uh, upgrade to a different character so there's a little bit of motivation there i also like that it has a mood um, connection to it so every day you set up a time you know at eight o'clock in the evening let's say and it says how's your mood how was your day is your day so so is your day good was your day great and so that way you can start to see a correlation between days that really you had a bad day and how that connected to some of the habits that you're doing or not doing. And so Henry is my current uh, current one. I, I'm a big task guy. I think that's connected to Enneagram One. 
but I also think it's a great way to develop what is most of the studies say if you do something for 90 days, it becomes a habit. And so all of these tracker apps are really helpful at creating those 90 days of building a habit. There uh, was one I used in the past called Productive, and that's another fun one that's kind of got a lot of sounds and things that motivate you to, again, whether it's drinking water, going to the gym, working out certain amount of minutes a day, uh, sleeping eight hours a day, you know, that sort of thing. There's a lot of habits, a lot of things that you could be, could be tracking. So those are some of the examples of apps that I would recommend when it comes to habit tracking. The other thing that I do now is I do the Calm app, which is meditation, mindfulness. I had been previously using Headspace. I kind of switch back and forth between Headspace and Calm. When it comes to pricing, I'm always looking to get like a, a deal. And it's kind of like the cable companies, you know, where it's like they give the best deals to their new customers. I'm actually on year two of Calm because they did have a deal to sign up again for a second year. If you've never tried, tried mindfulness, um, both of the apps are great. They kind of walk you through what it is. You can start with just five minutes, 10 minutes a day, uh, and it's made a huge difference. I mean, literally think my blood pressure has been affected by that. It's gone down from doing meditation uh, multiple times a week, and so... Maybe that's a good practice for you to start in 2021. Um, the other one I would say is Waterminder. It's another cool app that does uh, drinking water, tracks your drinking water, and does it again in a fun way that kind of gamifies it. You can set the amount. It starts with the default of 64 ounces. You know, I think most adults are supposed to drink a gallon of water a day. And so you can set that up and adjust that to your liking. And it's got, you know, achievements and different awards that you get if you drink, you know, a certain amount of water. But I don't know. It's just that that's definitely motivates me. It motivates me to drink water throughout the day, throughout the week. And of course, that's super, super helpful to maintaining health and doing that. So so I don't know. I think that, again, just kind of on the front end, those are some practical ideas. What are some apps that you use? Share in the comments. Share with us. Uh, what are apps that you have that you're liking that motivate you? And it doesn't have to be necessarily, again, like resolutions. It can be productivity apps that just help you better uh, at work, help you uh, better maybe in your relationships or your romantic life. Maybe we'll do an episode on dating apps someday. That might be fun. <laughs> but um, but seriously, kidding aside, you know, apps can be highly motivating and helpful to our lives. And so there's nothing like the start of a new year to kind of look at your phone again and do a little audit as to what apps did you use, what apps don't you use and you want to delete, and then what are some apps that you can kind of get a new app or a new version of an app to get you back into uh, doing the things you need to do this year. Continuing with this theme of kind of doing an audit of your phone and just kind of refreshing thing, uh, you definitely would be wise to do that with your social media as well. I think most of the listeners of this podcast probably have a Facebook and an Instagram. Those two kind of seem to be the most common. And then some of us are still hanging on and doing stuff in the Twitter realm as well. And so kind of a practice that I try to do every year is clean up who are my friends. And this gets a little bit into my social media philosophy. Not everybody shares this with me. 
but my Facebook is closed, meaning I keep it pretty tight. If you're uh, viewing me from public, you're going on my profile trying to find me on my public page, you're not going to see any of my posts. You're only going to see my profile picture and any of the posts that for some reason I made public, but mine defaults to only friends can see them. And so I keep that really a tight group. And my philosophy is if I don't know you in real life, you don't follow me. We're not friends on Facebook. Uh, and so I just share a little bit and dialogue a little bit more about things that I may not do in a public persona. You know, the job that I do is very people oriented and I represent an organization and other people. And so I always want to be mindful that when I'm speaking in my Facebook lane, that it represents me and that still should be a person of character and all those things. I'm not saying that it's OK to just be whoever you want. But I'm just mindful there that it's a closed group of the friends that I allow to see those posts. And so for me, that means regularly going in there, checking up in looking at my friends list. Like, are these people that I'm still interacting with? If it's somebody from high school, if it's somebody from, you know, my distant past, I, I have a few of those, but that's the exception. If it's somebody that I connected with, you know, I haven't talked with in seven or eight years and for some reason we're still Facebook friends, but we're not interacting with each other in any meaningful way, then I typically shut it down. Uh, I'm, and there's different, again, opinions on that. I've hurt some feelings in the past when people have swung back around for some reason. I don't understand that because from my angle, I'm like, if you haven't said anything to me in eight years and we haven't interacted with each other's posts, then... You find out a year later that I unfriended you like I don't know why that offends, but it's again just people's people's opinions. People are different. And so I think I would love if Facebook just like they recommend like friends that you these are people you should be friends with people you should know or check out. I think they should pop up and show you like, hey, these are people you haven't talked with in over a year. And then that gives you the ability to say, oh, yeah, I forgot about so and so. I actually do want to interact with them. And it motivates you to send them a message or post on their page. Um, but it also gives you what I'm suggesting here, which is keep that list, keep that uh, group of friends a tighter, smaller group. I think uh, quality over quantity is a great principle when it comes to social media. Again, it doesn't matter that you have thousands of followers that you never interact with and you don't see and interact with their stuff. I think it's better to have a smaller group that you actually do dialogue with and share with and live your life kind of in front of and with sharing your life with people. And so take it or leave it but that's my philosophy is I think every year we should kind of be cleaning up our friend lists and just again it should reflect what is in real life so it's not about xing people out of your life or canceling them it's really just about bringing into alignment your real life with your digital life and if we're not friends in real life we're not interacting in the real world uh, and we haven't done so in the digital world in a long time, then I don't know why we're still we're still friends. That just seems odd that we're connected still. Um, finally, kind of again, another angle, another area that I do this with is in the podcast world. And so I assume you're a podcast listener. You're listening to this podcast, and I'm grateful again for that, and I hope you continue to listen. But I find I have a growing list. Over the course of 12 months, I add podcasts, and I may listen to one or two and then for some reason stop listening. And so it's a great time to look at your podcast uh, app. I hope you use an app. I recommend there, I should say here, 
I started using a new podcast app this year called Pocket Casts, and I had been using Overcast before that, but I just found that the layout of Pocket Casts is a little bit um, nicer in my view. It has a great Apple Watch uh, app as well. So I recommend Pocket Casts or Overcast. You're not going to do wrong with either of those. But, you know, you subscribe to different podcasts, and I just find it's good, again, to keep that fresh, to find new podcasts, to always be learning and looking for new podcasts to subscribe to. And with that, you got to make space. You can only listen to so many things in a week. So that's where I recommend, again, shaving that list down to a smaller uh, group. And so this year I did that. I canceled a few or unsubscribed and then brought up some new ones. So two this year that I'm looking into or listening to for the first time is called, one's called The Happiness Lab. And then the other one is called, uh, let's see here, Whatever Happened To. And so it kind of goes back to news stories and things in the past that you just don't hear about anymore. So those are two that I just kind of found looking through the directory that I was like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll give it a try. And, you know, in a month or two, I may not be listening to them, but I'm giving it a try. I'm, you know, trying some new things on. So I encourage you guys to do that as well. What are some areas? There are podcasts about every topic and and every toy or hobby that you could imagine. And so I just encourage you to spend some time um, looking for new podcasts. And just like the apps, I'd love to hear what are you guys listening to? What are some podcasts that you think connect with our podcast here? You know, from the culture, the tech, or the faith perspective, what are some podcasts that we should be listening to uh, as listeners of the Cultured Christian Podcast? I would love to hear your guys' input on that. Well, guys, I did it. I finally secured a PS5. And I have to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I got it through Facebook Marketplace. I was not going to do that. I didn't want to spend more than the retail price for the PlayStation. But a number of things were happening, one of which is I was getting so frustrated with trying and trying and trying on Walmart, Best Buy, Target, all these internet sites trying to get a PlayStation. It's been out over a month. And I'm just getting impatient. So there's that aspect of getting impatient and really wanting to play a PlayStation 5. Then my buddy uh, got one. So you have the friend thing going where it's like he's talking about how amazing it is. And I'm like, oh, I really, really want one. You know, he just happened to be lucky and he got one through the, the ways that I had been trying. And then the other thing was I had a, a buyer. I was selling my PS4 to someone's kid for Christmas. So there was that aspect of like, okay, like the longer I wait, the more he's waiting on my PlayStation 4. So then I started looking on Facebook and seeing the prices. They were ranging, gosh, from like $700 all the way up to like $1,200, depending on a lot of different things. And so, yeah, long story short, I found one for a few hundred more than what retail would have been and did my homework on the guy and met this guy in a parking lot and went and got a, a PS5 in the middle of a pandemic from somebody. And so I'm really happy with it. It, it all worked out well. He's a great guy. And, and, you know, there wasn't anything shady going on, which uh, was kind of kind of funny to be buying. I mean, that's easily the most expensive thing I think I've ever bought off off of uh, Facebook Marketplace. So definitely recommend when you do something like that, you set it up in a way that you are safe and uh, not going to get 
<laughs> robbed or, you know, get a box of bricks. Cause that was my fear is I was going to go home and have a, a box of like bricks instead of a PlayStation five, but I opened it right in front of the guy. And again, he was really gracious. So my initial thoughts on the PlayStation five, having had it now for a week or two, man, just like I was suspecting those load times are game changing pun intended like it is amazing to have such a quick load time just starting up Fortnite, starting up you know uh watchdogs legions like it is so much faster it is unbelievably faster and the other way that you see it is when you do a big game like a watchdogs legions where you have a big open world and you're fast traveling from one side of the map to the other you know a lot of times again that can be a really annoying break time because it's like one you know you're waiting on this movement across the map and it's easily a third if not cut in half like the time is so much faster to do fast travel in these games so that's really cool the other thing that really stands out and I was kind of concerned about if I would love it is the the controller the controller is amazing it's as amazing as they said in all the reviews the haptic feedback, the adaptive controllers, all the way it fits in my hand, it is perfect. It is slightly bigger than the PS4 controllers, so you definitely notice that. I kind of have big fingers, so that doesn't bother me as much. I wonder, for those who have smaller hands, it might be um, a bummer. I have seen that in a few of the reviews. People were kind of ragging on it. I think the only kind semi-negative thing is I feel like the battery, um, your battery life, depends on what features they're using in the game so like there's a game astros playroom which highly recommend it is really cool and fun it comes free on the playstation 5 but it's one of these apps that uses the controller features to the nth degree i mean it is making noises it is vibrating pretty much every second it's using the adaptive triggers so any of the games that are using the controller to the nth degree are going to run that battery down and so I think I'm averaging about pretty much have to charge it every day you know every other day so definitely recommend like most gamers you always have a second controller so that way that way you're not you know unable to play because your controller battery dies but um, but yeah guys I love the PS5 you know the PlayStation 4 I had for seven years so those of you thinking that it's a waste of money to uh you know, get a console. I mean, I have more than got my <laughs> my money's worth out of my PlayStations. I use it daily for media consumption and video gaming with friends and students. And so it's just a great all around device. So it's fun to have fun to have a new one and a new interface to work with. I'm, I'm bummed that Cyberpunk was such a terrible uh, release with so much uh, bugs and glitches because that's the game that I'm looking forward to playing on my PlayStation 5. So I'm hoping that comes out pretty soon. They're re-releasing it hopefully here in the next month or two without the bugs. That's that's the next game that I want to play for sure. Finally in tech, let's talk about Facebook. Love it or hate it, Facebook is a huge part of our world now. I am very much a fan of Facebook mainly because it allows me to connect with people literally across the country, friends and family. We can see pictures. I can see where they're having dinner. I can interact with all sorts of things going on in their lives and they with mine. So I enjoy Facebook for all of its 
problems and arguments that it brings up, it is a good, I think, still part of my life. But one of the things that we're seeing happen is Facebook and Apple, like a lot of big corporations, are in a battle. They have been in a battle for a while, and it is really about to come to a head as Apple, beginning of this year, 2021, is going to start requiring apps to have a prompt that comes up on your phone and says, you know, this app tracks you and here's, you know, you can turn it off basically. They're still, Apple again, one of their great qualities is about privacy. And so through the Safari browser updates this year and as well through the uh, iOS software, it's really going to show us who's tracking us. It's going to show you the ways in which your data is getting passed on. And of course, Facebook has been doing that for years. I think you're living under a rock if you didn't know that your information, at least what you share with Facebook, you are writing in your hometown and your voting preferences, all those things, you're you're filling in the blanks. And then Facebook uses that and shares that data with uh, advertisers who then run relevant ads towards you and there's all sorts of other things that you can read about that they're doing with that information and so they are in a big big fight with apple because they don't want to lose that ad revenue they don't want to see the amount of users go down or for people to become knowledgeable and change the settings in facebook so that they're not getting this information anymore and so facebook has taken out large full page ads, you know, calling face or calling Apple out because they're claiming that it's going to affect small businesses. It's going to force people, you know, these small Facebook pages that are currently free to now have to charge their users to get their content. And so there is definitely a little battle here. I'm kind of on Apple's side because I think, again, let's give people information and let them decide. Do I want to continue to use Facebook or do I not? And so I'm always a fan of companies being up front, you know, kind of the terms of service, if you will. Like, let's know what we're getting into. Let's know where our data is going. And then you choose to opt in. Or you choose to opt out. You let people make that choice. And so I see this as Apple is doing their part of educating us and showing us the ways that our information is being shared. And uh, yeah, Facebook isn't going to like that because they're probably going to lose some money to the tune of millions of dollars. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Facebook seems like it's under attack from a lot of different angles when it comes to the government and different uh, things that they moderate. And we've talked about that on the podcast before and the censoring and the things that are happening politically. But there's also a lot of uh, companies too, like we're saying about Apple, that are uh, fighting Facebook as well. It's just interesting when you think about in my life, you know, going back to the days, what, what college was he at? Harvard, where they started the Facebook And it just was like a basically like a dating hot or not kind of thing among college students. And the same thing with Twitter. Like, I mean, both of these things kind of just started as these little fun things to have on our phone and just kind of share funny stories. And now in 2021, like these social media giants, I mean, they are massive corporations that hold major political ramifications like literally changing outcomes of elections and spreading all sorts of 
fake news and conspiracy theories now. Like they just have so many things that they're having to deal with in content moderation and free speech. Just things that I'm sure uh, Zuckerberg never thought of back when he was in the college dorm at four in the morning, you know, drinking Red Bull. Uh, building the Facebook, you know, so it's just interesting to see where these things have have come from and where they are today. As featured on episode 22, our podcast sponsor is Adam Peak, my friend and independent financial planner. Are you concerned that you aren't doing enough for retirement? Have you always wondered if you're missing out on the retirement plan offered through work? Reach out to Adam to help find the answers to these questions. You can reach Adam through multiple channels by going to adampeak.com. That's adampeak with an A, dot com. Securities offered through Sigma Financial Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. Adam Peak, 300 Parkland Plaza, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48116. Phone number 810-522-8169 or acpeak at sigmarep.com. In our faith section this week, I want to talk about sleeping pills. Sleeping pills. Yeah, you heard me right. I want to talk about that thing that helps you and I get some Z's, to catch some Z's, as they say. I don't know about you, but I love sleeping. I really do. I love the whole aspect of it, and it's an interesting concept that God made humans need, were dependent upon, sleep to survive. It's a big part of our our lives. We sleep a third of our lives. That's huge when you think about it. And so I'm one of these guys who my parents, apparently something in the house when I was growing up made me a very light sleeper. So I have to sleep with a fan and I use earplugs. I live in apartments again. And so it's just, I can't hear anything. If I hear anything, I am up. I'm wide awake. I also like a room temperature of like 62, you know, 55, like as cold as I can get nestled in those covers. Ooh, I just even thinking about it right now makes me want to be there. I uh, love a dark room, completely dark. I don't like any light coming through. I mean, there is just so much about the bedtime experience that uh, I'm kind of a baby with. I'll, I'll admit, you know, some of you can just fall asleep on a couch or on a plane or like in a car and you're just sound asleep and you never wake up. I am not that guy. So at times I have used sleep medication okay you know we don't typically call them sleeping pills that sounds so dark but it worked for this <laughs> this little conversation um, but yeah we've you know I've used over-the-counter stuff I've never used anything you know pr prescription based maybe you have zero judgment there uh, but yeah occasionally you know when I struggle uh, usually I'll go two or three nights where I can't sleep I'm thinking about something and so I'm like all right I'll pop some you know Tylenol PM or something and I remember one time I took it and I, you know, had something going on in the morning. I had a meeting or something early in the morning. You know, most people on the planet love to schedule early morning meetings. And so I got up and I was groggy. I just wanted to stay in bed. And so I remember like having this weird thing where I was asking God, I think like I, you know, mouthed it without much thinking, you know, God help me to wake up, give me energy, whatever. 
And then there was kind of the second thought. Do you ever have that? Like you kind of have that first thought of like, oh, I need this and I'm going to pray for this. And then you kind of have a backup thought or something else comes in and it's like, wait a second, you're asking God to wake you up after you took a sleeping pill. Like, do you know how stupid that sounds, Kurt? Like you're asking God to bend the laws of the universe uh, like to me, that's similar to like jumping out of an airplane and being like, God, throw me back in the plane. You know, like it's just that silly ultimately on its surface. I get why we may pray at times like that, like, oh, I'm so tired. I need to be woken up. And I think that that got me thinking about this whole principle, this whole idea of why sometimes we pray for things. Sometimes we ask God for help. And he either seems silent or the answer is no, like just flat out the answer is no. And I think a lot of times, please hear me right at the front, there is a disclaimer, a blaring disclaimer over this discussion today. And that is this, this doesn't apply to every situation. So don't take this to the extreme. Don't take this into areas that I'm not taking it. But I think generally speaking, a lot of times when we get a no or a lot of times we feel we get silence, it falls into kind of this category of God not helping us when we take a sleeping pill. It's like the one thing God's not going to help us with when we take a sleeping pill is waking up. Like he's not going to answer a prayer for us to wake up because we took a freaking sleeping pill. And that just goes against all of the chemistry and the stuff that's happening in our bodies when we take a sleeping pill. You see, the big idea is that God usually lets us deal with the consequences of our choices. And that may be a no-brainer for some of you, but for some of you, you really need to hear that in this season of your life. God usually, most of the time, a note I'm not saying always, usually lets us deal with the consequences of our choices. And you may be saying, why? Why does God do that? The answer is because that's how we learn, right? And God, right from the start, right in the Garden of Eden, it was extremely important as God the Father, the parent, the first parent and the first kids, he established this idea, this really important value of free will. He didn't want to create robots who were just, you know, they just go throughout their day just living on this metal track or something like no, he wanted humans, he wanted us to have a partnership with him, to make decisions on our own, to make choices with our own freedom. He values, God values freedom and free choice. Like a good parent, God knows that answering that prayer ultimately would hurt our growth. You know, giving us the answer that we want, Lord, wake us up, right, from taking this sleeping pill, that that would actually stunt our growth. And that's what he's interested in in the long term, our growth, and to grow to become more like his son, Jesus. Jesus, the perfect human, the perfect example, the perfect model. That's what our goal is in life, is to become like Jesus. That's what we're moving towards. And so if he didn't let us suffer the consequences of our choices, it would be impossible for us to grow. It's just part of the equation. It's part of the deal. And I just want to share with you a, a few quotes here and then a few a, a verse, a few verses from the Bible. 
And the first one comes from this guy named Doug Boyd. And this is a quote that I had printed years ago, and it just kind of stood out to me. It kind of illustrates this principle we're talking about today. And it says this, If I have learned one thing in this life, it is that God will not tie my shoes without me. God will not tie our shoes without us. It's this beautiful principle of a lot of times we want God to do everything for us. We pray, we scream out, God, God, do these things. And yet it's something within our power to do. It's something related to a choice we made a few days ago or even a few weeks or months or years ago. The choices we make add up and we start to have positive or negative consequences as a result. And so this is a good example of tying your shoes. We can pray all day, friends. We could pray for 40 days and fast for God to tie our shoes. And guess what is most likely, notice I'm going to just leave a little chance there, but I would probably say they will not ever be tied. But I'm just going to say, I'm not going to put God in a box. <laughs> Uh, usually those shoes are still going to be untied at the end of those 40 days. However passionate and uh, devoted to God you were in the midst of those 40 days, you know, you're just not going to see those shoes tied. Why? Because God knows we can tie them. We don't need his help. You can tie those shoes. And so why don't you tie those shoes? That's the deeper question. There's also a, a silver rule. You guys have heard of the golden rule, right? Came out of Matthew, and you often hear it connected to the AA ministry, Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you have a ministry like that at your church or in your community. But I learned recently there is actually a silver rule. I don't know if it's as official as the golden rule, but it is a silver rule, and I really like it. And again, kind of connects with what we're talking about. And the silver rule of AA is... Don't do for others what they can or some say need to do for themselves. So the principle is don't do for others what they can do for themselves. And those of you in AA, those of you who've been in recovery programs, you understand how sometimes there's this thing called enabling your loved one that you think you're being loving by answering their prayer or their cry for help. And in the long run, you're actually hurting that individual. You're enabling them to continue in their addiction, to continue in the cycle and the patterns that have kept them locked into that addiction, into that disease. It's only by us releasing and saying, you know what? There are things in your life that you need to do for yourself. You need to step up and get those things done. It's a beautiful, beautiful principle. And I want to share with you from uh, Galatians, a book of the Bible where Paul's writing. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He's writing to a church at Galatia. And some have called this book Galatians. It's like a smaller version of Romans. If you ever read Romans, uh, it's a, a larger book, basically double in size. And he says a lot of the same things. But we're going to read from verses 7 through 8 of chapter 6 of Galatians. And it says this, beginning in verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. Okay, and, and when you hear that in the Bible, do not be deceived. It means some people can, you know, we're, we're capable of being deceived. So he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or woman reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh will reap 
destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What a great passage of Scripture, you know? And, and you might be saying, as a result of these quotes and the Scripture and just kind of what we're sharing today, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, but I want God to save me from facing these consequences, right? I mean, that's ultimately why we are reaching out, why we're asking for help in these certain scenarios we find ourselves in. And I feel like a lot of the times God is just hanging up there in heaven, hanging out, and he's like, what did you expect was going to happen when you took a sleeping pill? Like, what did you expect was going to happen when you jumped out of the airplane? Like, what did you expect? It's part of growth. Part of growth is learning from our mistakes. That's part of the growth process is we have to learn from our mistakes. And guys, the only way that we can learn from mistakes is if God lets us make them. God's not going to swoop in every time and save us from the consequences of our choices. It would be wrong of him and going against his character and his nature to do so. Now, I hope you found this to be helpful or encouraging today. It can be rather frustrating to have God say no to our prayers or to seem silent when we're crying out for his help. As I close today, it's important to remember that God is still gracious even when he says no to our prayers. Like his character remains regardless of our circumstances. It's true that God is good. It's true that he's never made an error, made a mistake. It's true that he's ever-present, that he's available, that he's a loving father, that he wants us to reach out to him and pray to him. He's still that God. He's still gracious to us, even when the answer is no. So yeah, the next time you go to take a sleeping pill, before you ingest that pill, please grab the bottle it was in, turn it around and read the back. Because more than likely, more than likely, what it says on the back of that, you're going to experience. Those are the consequences. Those are the results. You're going to reap what you sow. And if you take that sleeping pill, you should expect that you're going to get a solid eight to nine hours of being groggy and not wanting to face the world. So make sure you leave enough time when you take a sleeping pill and know that there's going to be those effects. Don't expect God to uh, swoop in and wake you up because that's one thing when you take a sleeping pill that God usually does not do. And just like that, we have come to the end of another episode, this episode 26 of the Cultured Christian Podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. As always, we hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the podcast. Please join the conversation over on our Reddit. Also like and interact with us on our Instagram and Facebook page. Lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you in the next one.